This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and this is the Jack Riccardi Show. Boy, this day stays to come back, didn't it? Boy, it sure did. What a it's like two totally different days today. Yep. From this morning versus now. Hey, I was going to ask you, Christian, if you wouldn't mind uh, occasionally heckling me during the show just to set the tone, set the mood, you know, <laughs> just 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 randomly. Hey, hey what's this? Yeah. What is this show about? Yeah. <laughs> Liar! Where'd they get this guy? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I told you I would do it, and I did it. Your boy went to work last night after the show. I hunkered down. I blew two-plus hours of my life. I'll never get back again, as my dates used to say. And uh, watched all the the trimmings of uh, State of the Union 2023. And I, I, I we're not going to spend the whole show on this. There's a lot of other stuff we're going to talk about. But I'm going to start with this. And I'm going to tell you that even though I took it for the team and I watched it so you didn't have to, you might have missed out a little bit. And you're not going to hear me say this very often, but you might have missed out a little bit. Because there were some things last night that actually were fairly entertaining. So, as you would expect, um, President Biden had a big speech to give, a long speech to give. And as he does, he spent some time whispering and he spent some time yelling He spent a lot of time slurring and careening around, talking very fast. Um, A lot of, uh, you really had to pay attention to follow what was being said. And I'm not being facetious. It it was a combination of mumbling and speed reading and speed slurring and, and, you know, what have you. And, um, and at the same time, I, I think he was thrown by the fact that the Republicans did not just sit there and take it. And I don't know. I think this might be the new normal. I think this might be how states, state of the unions, states of the union, I don't know how you pluralize that, uh, are going to go from now on. It, it had a British parliament uh, feel to it. Here is... Uh, President Biden floating a claim he knows is false. He had just met earlier in the day with Kevin McCarthy. He knew this was not true of the Republicans. And he says, you know, the Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Cut number three. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. 
That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. He, he had you know a hard I mean? time getting his, his ish together after that. And then there was a moment when he was speaking about a conversation he had with oil company executives. Uh, listen to this, cut number four. Well, all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production, they keep they're, gas they're laughing at him. They're laughing at him because no one, no, no, no adult, no grown sentient adult, no matter how pro green energy they are, thinks we're only going to need oil for another decade. Um, and, and it was stuff like that that I, I think you could get away with in the past, whoever the president was, that you can't get away with now. And, and I think what's happened is we've had we've had country periods in our country's history that were as bad or worse than what we're in right now. I mean, this isn't the worst state of the union we've ever had. Uh, you know, we had a civil war. We had the Great Depression. We had moments in the 1960s. We had Jimmy Carter. But the difference with Joe Biden's presidency is that this is a managed decline. This is a decline by design. And he is not trying to avoid the ditch or dig us out of the ditch. He is accelerating toward the ditch. Um, needless to say, his defenders in the media uh, thought the speech was fantastic. The best speech he ever gave as president, said Wolf Blitzer. Joy Reid says uh, the way he delivered it lays to rest any concern about his age. On the other hand, Britt Hume on Fox said people tuning in and watching this 80-year-old man stumbling and slurring would question whether or not the future of the country should be in his hands. Um, what do you think about calling him out for his lies? What do you think about them jeering him? What do you think about Marjorie Taylor Greene shouting liar? She shouted liar uh, when he made the claim about Social Security and Medicare. She wasn't the only one jeering, but the camera cut to her, and she had her uh, moment. I will tell you what he's referring to very quickly, and it's very wonky and, and sort of overly detailed, but Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, came out with a report uh, of recommendations, and they're only Rick Scott's, they're no one else's. But Rick Scott included in his proposal something that Republicans have talked about in the past, which is that maybe federal programs should have a sunset provision, meaning when you fund something and you create something, there should be a period of review every five or ten years where we we stop and we say, is this working? Is this cost-effective? Should this continue? Because as you know, in your lifetime, things only get added to the government. They never get taken away. So Rick Scott said, why don't we have a sunset rule? Everything gets reviewed at five years in. Now, he meant federal programs. He did not mean entitlement programs. And he said that. And he has said it since then. And he said it today. And you know from just watching the news that Republicans are not interested in cutting Social Security and Medicare. They're already getting slaughtered with senior voters. They're not going to come out for that. Whether you think they should or not is a different question. I'm just here to tell you this Republican Party isn't laying a finger on Social Security and Medicare. So they got angry because they knew that McCarthy had met with Biden and they had talked this through already. 
And Biden went out there and right in front of KMAC and right looking right into the camera told that lie. And then the jeering happened. Uh, professor of history at Boston College, Heather Cox Richardson, tweeted, This is chilling. These people screaming at the President of the United States have no sense of the importance of their position. And again, she tweeted, I am horrified. This was actually during the speech. I am horrified that Republicans are booing him. Have you no respect for that office? And uh, she went on, and people were agreeing with her. They were ashamed, and they were appalled, and... I wonder if these same people were wetting their pants when the Democrats were booing President Trump. But but more importantly, when I read this, I just thought, why have historians become clowns? I'm a history buff. I love history. Why are historians beclowning themselves all of a sudden? Why aren't they the voices of reason? Why aren't they the ones that step back from the fray, don't act like Democrats, don't act like Republicans, say, hey, there's context, or this is our history, or we've been here before. You know, they've all, all these damn historians have become partisans on one side or the other. You know? It's like every referee has signed up with a team. 210-599-5555. I mentioned two things I think you missed. Kevin McCarthy's facial expressions were one of them. I got to admit, and when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Kevin McCarthy has pleasantly surprised me as speaker. So far, I've liked everything I've seen. I never was a fan I never could see why it had to be him. I thought I thought the whole holding out for the the speaker election was humiliating, but I was glad it was him last night. Because not only, not only did he have these facial expressions that were priceless, but it was kind of like Don Cooper and I talked about this on the phone. It was kind of like he was um conducting the Republican side of the room. They were taking their cues from him. Um and for me, Kevin McCarthy's facial expressions, you could mute the speech and you could tell how much BS was being pumped out by, by what he was. And they were very subtle, you know, but he was, it was like, you know, he speaks for all of us with his face, so to speak. The other thing you missed if you avoided this entire spectacle last night was the Republican response, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas. Now, I, I, again, usually these responses are horrible. I mean, they're just bad. Uh, they're, it's, a, it's an impossible assignment. It, you, after a big speech in front of a big room full of people, these uh, other party responses always look sort of tepid and weak and small. And whether they stage them in front of an audience or not, they usually are very ineffective. Sometimes they're even uh, damaging to the people who deliver them. Sarah Sanders killed that response last night. It was a short uh conversational uh storytelling kind of a speech it was a revelation there's no other way to put it she hit all of the points she didn't sound false her storytelling unlike biden sounded authentic like you believed what she was telling you And she made a point that where we're at now is not the difference between right and left, but the difference between normal and crazy. And I say this on our show all the time. I don't think most people walk around self-identifying as right or left. That is something we in the media are putting on you. 
we feel the need to categorize and pigeonhole, but, but I don't think most people do that. Most people think that their view of stuff, their values and how they frame things, is just the, the right way to do it. It's just the only way to do it. Like, what else could you think? What else could you do? They don't think to themselves, I'm a rightist or I'm a leftist. And I do think people look at the, the world now. They look at the headlines now. They look at the stuff we talk about on this show now. And they go, it's normal versus crazy. This is how she started out last night, cut number nine. I'll be the first to admit, President Biden and I don't have a lot in common. I'm for freedom. He's for government control. At 40, I'm the youngest governor in the country. And at 80, he's the oldest president in American history. I'm the first woman to lead my state. And he's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. In the radical left's America, Washington taxes you and lights your hard-earned money on fire. But you get crushed with high gas prices, empty grocery shelves, and our children are taught to hate one another on account of their race, but not to love one another or our great country. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. It's time for a new generation All right, of Republican leadership. So that was some leadership. of what she had to say. And if you want to watch the whole thing, I've got the link up. If you go to KTSA.com, um, my column about the State of the Union has a link to her response. And it's not very long. It's maybe 15 minutes, 14 minutes, something like that. You can watch it uh, at your convenience. And um, so tell me what you think about this. If you if you were tuned in or you have checked any of it out today, it's not. It didn't start this year. The State of the Union speech is a list of lies that whoever the president is tells, and this guy just told a lot more of them and more brazenly than we're used to. But that 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 is the that is the gist of this putrid uh, political tradition. Um, a lot of people will tell you, "Oh, they have to." It's the Constitution. They have to. No, no. The Constitution just says the president has to report. <laughs> Doesn't say he has to do a television show every year. But I mean, you know, the thing about Republicans want to kill Medicare and Social Security. We've created a record 12 million new jobs. You know what they don't tell you is that no new jobs were created after the vaccine and the COVID lockdowns were lifted. Uh, businesses are rehiring the people that were laid off. Biden had nothing to do with that. He, Biden, Biden delayed the, the, the effect of that. And, and another really bad sign for this economy is that when you look at job growth, it's more part time than full time. What it means is, yep. Yeah, People are taking more jobs, but it's not their only job or their first job. It's their second one or third one. And then the whole, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, most significant investment ever. Uh, it's not lowering utility rates. Uh, they're going up all over the country. Um, when he talked about nobody earning less than $400,000 a year, We'll pay an additional penny in taxes. He said that during the campaign. He made a lie out of it in his first year. But now, with the increase in the number of the IRS agents and the um, announcement that they're going after people that Venmo and use cash apps and so forth, and they're going after waiters and waitresses with their tips, 
clearly these are not people making over $400,000 a year. The government is out for your money, and if you're a working uh, you know, stiff, they are coming for you. They can talk about going after rich people, but rich people have layers and layers of ways to protect themselves and their money. And speaking of the rich, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm as envious of money as anybody. I'd love to have money. I'd love to have big money. I won't lie about it. You know, I know you're not supposed to say that, but I'll admit it. But it's a fact uh, that the wealthiest uh, 1% in this country pay 42 percent or something of the taxes it's somewhere in the 40s um and the way that the white house calculated that whole billionaires pay less than school teachers or firefighters is they included non-taxable holdings that billionaires have as income and and yes if they had to pay taxes on those things then they they would pay a lot more but those are not taxable things so when you use the system the way it's designed you're not cheating or getting away with something. And that's the way it's designed. Is there a problem with calling that out? Are you thinking to yourself, which it's about time, or are you as disturbed as the historian is? 210-599-5555, and Mary is on KTSA. Mary, good afternoon. Good afternoon. <clears throat> I just wanted to say that I was quite impressed with the governor from Arkansas. I am uh, closer to Joe Joe Biden's age than hers, and I would gladly give up politics to the senior politicians and let the younger ones take over. Uh, She was spot on. She said it Mm -hmm. the way it was. It's time Mm -hmm. we all speak up. Political correctness is dead, and the Republicans don't take advantage of this time mm-hmm. and say what they mean and stop talking out of both sides of their mouths, then uh, this country's going to be in a bad shape. I felt like she was somebody that n- people that normally don't follow politics might listen to. Exactly. Like Trump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a there's a way to talk about this stuff. Right, right. There's a way to talk about this stuff that that captures people's uh, attention. Mary, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Richard is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Richard. Jack, great topic today, and I I have to say I fully agree with all your observations you've made about Biden. It was really painful to sit through it. Also with uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, very crisp easy to understand, succinct, and to the point, and very, uh, very believable. What I, what I don't like is, and you had, you had mentioned it earlier, right, I think the Republicans lose the high ground when in the social media you need to be in the next news cycle, Twitterverse, where you yell out and you, and you do that. So the State of the Union is, is degrading. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't like it. They had an opportunity to, to just, you know, I don't know. I think the State of the Union is going to eventually be like Hollywood award shows, and nobody's going to care, and nobody's going to tune in. You golf clap because it's all predictable. We know what the president's going to say. Mm-hmm. We know how. We know we expect how the opposing. But party I'm confused, will Richard. I'm confused. Hold on. I'm confused. I'm, I'm confused because sure. you said that they ceded the high ground by reacting, but then you started to say we know it's a bunch of bull, and so why is it high ground to sit there and take it? He is he is pointing at you and saying you want to end Social Security in front of 40 million viewers. I, I think it would be suicide to sit there and not respond to that. 
Yeah, and I don't know if the State of the Union is the venue for the response. If it is, then it will continue well, to... Well, brother, if they if if you're watching and you don't know what's what and you hear him say that and you think that must be true, you're not going to check later on to see what their response is. If they don't respond then, you assume that's true. No, that's that's a great point. You know, more is looking at Congress's in a historical perspective, you know, we I don't know if we I mean, I look at it this way, and I'm not saying we have the same system as Great Britain, but that parliament, which they've had for, what, 900 years, 700 years, something like that, that parliament is very give and take, and there is uh, open challenging and, and even jeering and debating. I, I, I'm not saying we have the same system, but theirs has endured hundreds of years longer than ours has. I, I don't think it will break the, the, the system if you call out a lie when there's a lie. Maybe they maybe no, there'll be fewer lies if that happens. Maybe maybe they won't write speeches full of lies if they know they can't get away with it. That's a great point. I'm a big fan of the Oxford debate style. So if that's how we're going to transition, then so be it. I just don't see the. I guess it's just the transition. That's what it is. The Sam Nuns and the John Glens and you know John F. Kennedy said the greatest senator he knew was Robert Taft from the who was in the opposing party. You know those type of statesmen are probably fading away, and now we have what we have now. It's just interesting, I guess, to see the transition. I don't know if it's... Well, I mean, I, I, I mourn the loss of statesmanship, too, Richard, but it's hard to be a statesman when you're being uh, basically um, accused of killing grandma on live television on every channel on the dial. I mean, you, you, if you take that, that is like confirmation that it's true. So when you go back to Taft and Kennedy, they weren't telling those kinds of lies and they weren't, they weren't demonizing the other party. That's why you could act the way you're describing their action or their, their conduct. But when you're in this situation and you're being confronted with this, um, I think silence is politically suicidal. No, I, I think you're right. And reflecting, what I really think I'm least happy about is just the fact that the opposing party has to react this way. And that's probably the, the worst part. Yeah. That's how no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so appreciate that. Thank you, Richard. Um, by the way, I, I will say this. Um, you, when you are a politician and you go to, like, your own event or your campaign rally, when you're, when you're in the room full of your people, you talk a certain way. When you are in a place where you can be challenged, you watch your words because you will be challenged i.e. debates, right? Candidate debates. These speeches in recent years have been full of half-truths and specious claims, and, there's no, and, and, and the Democrats called out and jeered Trump plenty for that. And there was even some jeering of Obama, if I remember correctly. I think that's probably when this started. But maybe if the next president or even this president next year, if they realize, hey, I can't run this jive because they will call me out in real time, they will drown me out, maybe it changes the content of the speech. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I, I like where he was going with that, and I, I, I'm definitely an old-school guy. Um, b but look, if you go back 50 years, or let's just pick that number. Let's say you go back 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, whatever. Things moved slower. President gives the State of the Union speech. He gives it with some respect to the opposing party because he's got to work with them because nothing gets done. And it was not scorched earth, not even for FDR with the New Deal. Okay. Secondly, 
things move slower. So people hear the speech, but a great deal more people probably read about the speech the following day in the newspaper, right? Okay. And they think about it. And they might read more than one newspaper because their city has two or three. And they might watch different commentators or listen to different commentators. And, of course, there's time while all that cogitating and reading is going on. There's time for the other party to come out the next day or the next morning and say, hey, uh, we have issues with this, this, and this. So you had a slower pace. You had a higher info- information level of audience. You had a uh, a sort of codependency between the two parties. Today, 2023, Joe Biden is up there dropping lies, and people who might tune in or catch snippets of it on their favorite cable show or on YouTube may not go and verify it. They may not go read Rick Scott's pamphlet. Or they may not say, well, let me think about this for a couple of days. Or let me withhold judgment till I've heard what the Republicans say about it. So, yeah, I'm not crazy about jeering and booing, but I, I don't think there's any other way to handle being frontally attacked and insulted and lied about uh, on, on live television. And frankly, any problem I might have with it is overridden by the fact that all my life the damn Republicans have been such absolute ninnies i mean they've just pussied out on every big challenge until until a few years ago and we know what happened then but other than that they have got to start defining themselves they can't let the new york times define them they can't let rachel maddow define them they certainly can't let sleepy joe define them so this is what you have to do when you are being lied about and maligned and slandered and it isn't just for them. The country needs to know. And these historians that are chilled, you know what they should be chilled by? They should be chilled. What should terrify them and, and, and horrify them is not Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a marginal figure we won't remember 10 years from now. What they should be horrified by is the managed decline of our country. Because say what you want about Jimmy Carter. Say what you want about... Franklin Roosevelt, say what you want about the Civil War. These were crises that beset our country and that our presidents uh, inherited or, or, or woke up to one morning. The conditions of this economy, the reason this, the state of this union sucks so hard is not something that befell Joe Biden. It's in large part because of choices Biden and his team have made. You know, it's kind of hard to take seriously a guy that says, I'm really concerned about you paying high energy prices when those high energy prices are a not only a byproduct, but in fact an intended result of his policies. It's like the person mugging you saying, I'm sorry this is going to leave you a little short on cash. 210-599-5555. You know, it it, it all comes back to... um, Sorry to say this, low information voters, uh, people that, that go through public school and don't learn how the system works. Uh, we've got a, we've got generations of people that think presidents are kings. And, um, of course, if he was a monarch, this would be highly disrespectful and, um, inappropriate. 
but he's not. He's one of us. He stands in the people's house. It's our house. Um, he was elected from amongst us. And this is about us. I would like to see historians put some perspective on that. I would like some historians to start pointing out, as I'm sure they could do better than me, how truly by design uh, so much of this current decline is. You know, FDR didn't create the Depression. Now, he might not have responded to it in the way you and I would have or in ways that turned out to be the best ways. Jimmy Carter didn't create the circumstances that he encountered and inherited as president. He didn't handle them well. He wasn't the right man for the time. But I'm not going to look at Jimmy Carter and say he, he, he didn't give a damn or he, uh, he wanted all this to happen. But I look at this team of people, and I think they, they want what's happening. They have plans for the chaos that they are claiming they will address. That's different. And that's so different that it's pretty hard to hold anybody to the standards of 50 or 75 years ago. I wish we could. I wish we were, I wish we were in that kind of period. I wish we, we could. I don't want to go back in time. Not everything was perfect back then. But yeah, do I wish we had statesmen? Do I wish we had, uh, honor? Do I wish we had an informed, uh, audience for something like this? Yeah, I wish we did. 210-599-5555. John is on KTSA. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I was a little bit taken aback initially when I watched it, just, you know, some of the heckling and uh, stuff led by Marjorie Taylor Greene and company. But then again, I thought of it later on, and I thought, you know, it's a good thing. People are tired. They've had enough. They're pushing back. And if that's where it starts, then that's where it starts. And I do believe it started with the Obama administration when that one gentleman from South Carolina yelled out, you lie. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And then now we've gotten here with Biden, and it was just a three-ring circus. And it reminded me a little bit of Parliament, how they do it in Britain. Because when they think someone's not straight, you know, if the prime minister's not calling it straight, they call them out right there, big and bold. And we kind of did the same thing last night. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. We don't want, the, we don't want to go to their system, and uh, it's, it's an inferior um, system, I believe. But... Uh, if you know that you will not get away with lying uh, about the people you are giving the speech to, maybe you will be more careful or circumspect about doing that. I hope so. I, I just don't know that they are going to take that into consideration. I think they are at a point right now they're they're trying to throw all their Hail Marys. I agree, um, but I will tell you this. No matter how much brave talk there was on CNN and MSNBC, they know at the White House how truly awful, and I can't convey it with these clips because you have to see it. Joe Biden looked befuddled and stunned when they got up on his, you know, got up on their hind legs. He, he was not expecting that. And there will be talks about whether or not you ever want to put him in that situation because he almost, the train almost went off the tracks. I mean, he almost, he almost couldn't get it back together again. Uh, to finish that speech, and it happened two or three times that I recall. So I, I, I'm not saying this will change everything, but again, when you when you don't get away with lying easily and readily, you might reconsider lying, or you might be more economical with with the lies. AMC Theaters, this is the biggest chain in the country, 
uh, unveiled a new pricing plan this week, and people are losing their mind over it. Uh, they call it Sightline, and it will make seats in the middle of the auditorium cost a couple of bucks more, and the ones in the front row will cost a couple of bucks less. And they're going to roll it out to all of their domestic, uh, U.S. domestic locations. It'll apply to evening movie showing at first. And, um, you'll be able to up, if you belong to their frequent ticket club or whatever, you'll be able to upgrade your seats, uh, without the extra price. But if you haven't been in the movies lately, a lot of times now when you go to the movies, you actually book your ticket online or on an app. So you buy it, you pick it out from a seating chart, like an airplane where you'd sit, pick out your, aisle seat or your window seat or whatever you pick out your seats and and clearly you pick out the seats you prefer and clearly there are seats that are more preferent more preferred than others right um so i'm not defending this i don't know if people will go for this or not here's what triggered me okay so i'm reading this i'm like all right well i don't go to the movies very much anyway but um i i can see what they're trying to do and it's a business and you know people don't like it they'll stop doing it elijah wood had to had to open his big fat mouth you know who elijah wood is the lord of the rings guy i i I always liked him as an actor but he tweeted out the movie theater is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all and this would penalize people for lower income and reward for higher income i I hate every word of that tweet (laughs) what the a sacred democratic space? Dude, get over yourself. A sacred democratic space? The movie theater? So, shouldn't the seats be free then? I mean, why are they charging for democracy? But but Elijah Wood is a phony, because tell me Elijah Wood doesn't fly first class when he flies. I'm sure he does. And he pays extra for it. And when he gets off the plane, there's a limo or an Uber XL waiting or a, a black navigator, and he pays extra for it. And when he checks into his hotel in the city he's visiting or working in, he gets a suite, he gets a penthouse, he gets the nicest hotel in town, and he pays for it. And that's called reward for higher income, dummy. I mean, really. I mean, everything works this way. The, the AMC people didn't invent this. Where's he been? Now, again, I'm not sure it will work in the sense that this may drive people away from movie theaters, and they're already starting to drift away and stream and wait for it to come out on Netflix. But but I'm just saying, I, it almost makes me root for AMC when I hear a, a, a numbskull like this get into his you know high dudgeon about the democratic space and the little people. I, you know, the, the, I don't think Elijah Wood is worried about the little people. Something tells me he's not. Something tells me when you get to that level, one of the rewards of getting to that level is that you, you, you don't really worry about the little people anymore because you're not one of them anymore. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. On the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is our good friend and San Antonio Express News columnist Gilbert Garcia. Gilbert, good afternoon to you. Hi, Jack. I had a tough choice last night, Gilbert. I had to do my I had to do my talk show duties. I had to do my talk show duties, but I really would have liked to have watched. And I I did catch the replay of LeBron James. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because whatever you think of LeBron James, that's that's major sports history right there. Absolutely. Comes the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Um, here's my question for you, though. Um, where does he fit in if you're doing like a Mount Rushmore of the NBA? I, I, he's on it, right? Sure. sure. I, I, who else, is, who my, else is on that Mount Rushmore? Well, I would say, I mean, I, when people talk about the greatest and they talk about Jordan and LeBron, and it's, you can make good arguments for both. I, I, I think Jordan had a big impact on me watching. I was probably at the right age to really be particularly impressed by him. But um, I would say those two. But also, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar really gets left out of a lot of these conversations. And it's, you know, obviously he plays a center. His skill set was different. But when when you look at, I mean, this this is someone who won six championships, went to the finals ten times. If you even factor in college, I mean, he was he had an eighty eight and two record at UCLA and won three national mm-hmm. championships. So I think he has to be up there. And no three pointers. Yeah, yeah. I, I yep. think that it gets it gets uh, more uh, difficult if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about maybe a couple of others after that. I mean, some some would say uh, Magic Johnson. Uh, you can make a case for Bill Russell. I, I think I think that get, it gets a little it gets a little tricky after that. Larry Bird certainly is in the conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it's always hard when you're dealing with players from uh, different eras and playing under different rules. Here's how LeBron James sounded last night after his record-setting game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. How does it hit you to sit atop that scoring mountain? Um, I don't think it has. I don't think it has hit me. Um, you know, I had a moment, you know, obviously when it happened and, and embracing that moment and seeing my family and my friends and, you know, uh, people that's been, you know, around me since I started this journey, um, even before the NBA. So, you know, I definitely had a moment right there, very emotional, just to, you know, knowing just, you know, me being from a, a kid from a small town in Ohio and, and uh, you know, um, you know, I had a moment there, but I don't think it's really hit me on what, what just transpired. As much as I tried to live in the moment, it was kind of a blur. Um, you know, but you know, it's a nice moment on the court. Uh, they stopped the game briefly. Uh, his family, mm-hmm. his beautiful family, came out, and uh, it was. I thought it was great that uh, Kareem was there. Uh, right. There were a lot of lot of great NBA. I think Magic was there. A lot, a lot of greats were there. Um, it, it, you make a great point. I mean, the game has been different. Like it, when I think about, you know be like Mike and we all wanted to be, you know, we all thought we were him or tried to be him when we played in our backyards sure. and stuff. That was a different NBA game, right? It was slower. Uh the, the fouling situation was different. Um yeah. Kareem much as you said physical. was a unique much more physical. Uh yeah. so it took a toll on on those guys I think that was different. Um Kareem was in a it was in a, a class by himself with that skyhook shot that was un Stoppable, undefendable. I mean, it didn't matter who you put on him. He was just going up over people with that. Um, I, I, I guess for me, because of, I think because we're close in age, I, I would probably say Michael Jordan is the greatest I've ever seen. But that's kind of like by my standards, right? By my lights. And, um, I would definitely put Kareem, Michael Jordan, LeBron on there. And then I'm, I'm with you. The fourth one is hard to pick. Is it, is it Larry Bird? Is it Dr. J? Is it, um, is it somebody we weren't old enough to, to see, but in, in their Arthur time Robertson was, you know, Webb. right. I, you know, I, I thought about Jerry, you were talking about the three point shot. I mean, I can't even imagine 
the point the point totals that Jerry West or Oscar Robertson would have put up if you had a three point line in their ear. Yeah. And so it's just it's a it's a really interesting thing. But I think one thing you can say for for uh, LeBron is I mean to be playing at this high a level, averaging thirty points yes. a game in your twentieth year is astonishing. And also, you know, the game is much more international. The NBA is much more international than it was even when Jordan was playing. And so you really have, you know, the cream of the crop from uh, from across the world uh, in, a, in a way that we, we were just, I think the game was just starting to become more international, um, you know, during the it's Jordan era. Yeah, it's a great so point. So I think he's, you know, he's gone up. I think the talent level, you could argue, is maybe higher than it's ever been. You, you play against the world. You also play in the Olympics, uh, which those guys back in the day did not do. And that, that that's extra wear and tear um, when you do that. Um, and I was also thinking, as I was watching the replay last late last night, uh, Gilbert, of the Tom Brady retirement and now this just right. a few days later, it feels like the passing of an era. Absolutely. And, and they're, 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 they're different in many ways, but similar in the sense that they both defied um, everything that we thought we knew about the you know uh, longevity of a professional athlete. I mean, when, when Brady was talking a few years ago about possibly playing, he was 45, uh, it was just one of those things that uh, I, I just didn't take it seriously at all. And, um, you know, this past year was kind of rough for him, but I mean, he was still, at, I think, at the age of 44, at least playing at a really high level. And um, it's, it's, he just defined the game. I mean, both of these, these guys have defined their sports for the past 20 years, and uh, it, it, it really is going to be a strange thing. Uh, I think we're going to have LeBron around for a while, but it'll be strange to, to not have Brady. I don't know if you're an Aaron Rodgers fan or not. Something tells me you might not be. Um... <laughs> I've gone back and forth on him. I, I've always enjoyed watching him play. I think he's a really yeah. flaky individual. Uh, he seems a little self-centered, but um, but I've enjoyed watching him play. <laughs> a little self-centered, yeah. I, I think you're... I've... I don't think you've gone <laughs> out on a limb with that one. Um so I was reading today, you know, he's 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 going to make his decision um about whether or not to come back and it's really a a a multi-part decision because he has to decide if he wants to come back to Green Bay. He has to decide if they want him back. He has to decide if he's going back with somebody else. There's several teams that that could be landing sites, but he says he's going to do a darkness retreat after the soup. <laughs> Have you read this? He says he's going to do a four-day darkness retreat where he'll be in pitch black all day and night for four days and nights, and Mm -hmm. that's how he's going to make his decision about whether or not to play. If if he's my quarterback and I hear this, (laughs) my my decision's already made. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I... I love the guy. I mean, he is supremely yeah. talented. He might be, he might be, he, he might, in terms of pure talent, he might be the best, but he's certainly yeah. one of the best. I just can't get over how unteam this whole mindset is. You would think this decision was purely and only about him. Yeah. I, I, it almost feels to me like the dark, darkness retreat thing in particular sounds like. He's he's reached the point where he really enjoys people thinking of him as, as eccentric, and he's, he's oh he's playing, playing he's playing, playing us a little bit. You think? Yeah. I, I also shouldn't you I mean, if you're going to play at his age? What is he? Thirty five, thirty nine, whatever he is. If you're going to play, you've got to be on fire to play. And if you're going to go to Las Vegas and be their new quarterback, 
They don't want to hear that you had to do a four-day sensory deprivation thing to make the decision. They want to hear that you're chomping at the bit. You can't wait to get there. Looking forward to meeting my teammates. Can't you know? I'll be I'll be showing up early and staying late. You can't you can't come into that with uh, well I had to be in darkness for four days. Well, it's a great point, and I, and I think it was John Elway who said that you know when he retired, it wasn't that he felt that he he couldn't do it physically anymore, but he thought I I don't know that I can. That I that I can I'm, that I have that fire that I had before that and and well, he should have pulled the drapes and got yeah, under the bed. And... That's, that was the mistake he made. <laughs> I make all my decisions that way, Gilbert. Doesn't everybody? Um, do you uh, do you have a favorite in the Super Bowl, or are you one of the fans that's a little bit mad about this Super Bowl? I, no, I actually think it's going to be pretty enjoyable. Um, uh, I I look. I think Philly is the is probably top to bottom is the the better team. I think, you know, especially up front on the offensive and defensive lines, really strong. Uh, they, they certainly can run the ball better than Kansas city. But I think that, um, you know, when Patrick Mahomes factor, I, 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 if I had to bet and I don't bet on anything, but I, I just think that's going to make a difference. I, Jalen Hurts has had an excellent year, but I guess I don't trust him in the big game. The way I, I just feel like Mahomes is, is such a special talent. Um, that I think he's. I just feel like he's gonna. If they're close in the fourth quarter, I think he's gonna. He's gonna find a way to do something. Before we go, I got to ask you uh, a quick political question. And forgive sure. me if you have written about this and I and I missed the column. But I'm. I, somebody sent me a New York Times piece. You may know the mm-hmm. one I'm speaking of, and it's about uh, Peter Sakai and and Ron Nirenberg. Right. And it's the New York Times saying, "Isn't this interesting that in San Antonio, Texas?" where Hispanics are over 60% of the population and where almost all the elected officials are either Hispanic or white, the two top elected officials, the new county judge and the soon-to-run-for-his-fourth-term mayor, are part or fully Asian-American. And as they go through all this and describe what Peter Sakai went through and, and, and epithets that have been directed against him and so forth, he, uh, the author of the piece, I guess, draws the conclusion that what this means is voters are not as attached to ethnicity as they used to be, or, 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 or maybe not even noticing it as much as they mm-hmm. used to. Do you, do you think that's a fair judgment? Uh, I, I, I don't really think that's true. I mean, I think that uh, identity politics is still, uh, is, is really important. I think we see it in a lot quite a bit in our elections. If you look at our judicial races in, in Bear County and, and a lot of our, our other races, I, 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 I don't really agree with that premise. I think um, that, that Ron Nuremberg has, um, I, I don't think that his ethnicity has really been a factor. I just don't think people have really given it much thought. And, and he's married uh, to uh, a Latina. And I think I had never thought of it. Great. I didn't even, I didn't even know that till I read that yeah, in the New York yeah, times. Yeah. But I mean, he's married to Latina too, so I think that that has also. I mean, I think that that um, he, has helped him. I think with his connections to uh, Latino voters in San Antonio. I, and Peter Sakai is kind of an unusual case in the sense. I mean, he's someone who grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, very connected to Mexican American communities, and I think that he had a, uh, even voters. I think in in the San Antonio area for whom uh, you know ethnicity might be an issue. Um, they've just known him. They've grown to know him for so long. So yeah. I, I, I just, I, I think that uh, ethnicity does factor in for a lot of people, but I think that these are kind of uh, exceptions. So their ascendancy is a coincidence, not 
a factor of some new way voters are looking at ethnic background? I think so. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think you're probably right about that. And, and you make a great point. Identity politics, if anything, is on the rise, not on the uh, decline. It, it may be that the identity in identity politics is now other things like gender uh, and stuff like that. But, but it seems like we're still paying attention, or at least a lot of voters are, and scoring candidates by those things. I think so. Hey, it's always been great uh, to catch up on these things with you, Gilbert, uh, political or otherwise, and um, you, hope that uh, everything is good with you. We'll talk to you again real soon. Take care. Thank you. Read him in the San Antonio Express News, columnist Gilbert Garcia. I think it's interesting. President Biden's superpower is that he's a regular person. It's, it is the sort of fact that he isn't an unusual sort of politician-y politician, because this is the biggest audience he'll probably get. <laughs> oh, man. That's Joy Reid on MSNBC. Oh, yeah, he's not, he's not a politician, except he's been in politics since 1972. He's such an outsider. What a, what a breath of fresh air. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. Um, yeah, we've been talking about the hijinks from last night uh what a show what a show what a show by the way when did the state of the union become a dress-up event i mean um i saw Kristen cinema she looked like a like a like a peeled banana she had this big flouncy yellow thing on marjorie taylor green had this this crazy like white mink cloak thing that looked like she looked like a bond villain or something not true. Uh, it's a liar. You're a liar. Yeah, I know. And then um, I don't know. There were there seemed like there were a lot of there was a congresswoman with purple hair and and stuff. I mean, so the caller that mentioned uh, the olden days and statesmanship, it looked like an awards show. I'm surprised they don't just do a red carpet. You know, just put put some uh, reporter out there and now uh, what are you who who are you wearing? You know, um, yeah. What it was a spectacle. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, NBA Mount Rushmore, I guess Kareem, uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron, and, and who's the fourth one? We're talking, of course, about LeBron's breaking the, uh, the scoring record. I mean, I, I don't like him. I remember when he, remember when he was here for the finals and he was doing that fainting thing because the air conditioning didn't work at the AT&T Center? He seems diva-esque, but I, I gotta give him props. I mean, this is an incredible accomplishment and the way he's playing right now at his age is, just incredible. He's having one of his most productive uh, years, and you can't take that away from him. Um, I saw that there was um, news about Michael Irvin. Did you see this today? This is. I hope this is not going to turn into something, but Michael Irvin has been pulled from ESPN and NFL Network's Super Bowl coverage, and he was a major part, especially on ESPN. They had promoted, uh, you know, promoted him. Uh, after a woman complained about an interaction with him on February 5th, he says the encounter was brief and in a public place, namely the lobby of a hotel, that it was non-physical, saying they spoke and then shook hands. Uh, but she is alleging misconduct against Michael Irvin, the uh, Cowboys Hall of Fame wide receiver, the playmaker. And in response, the NFL Network and ESPN have announced he will not be uh, on the air with them. Honestly, I'm a bit baffled by it. This all happened in a 45-second conversation in the lobby, he says. 
When I got back after going out, I came into the lobby. I talked to someone. I don't know her. I talked to her for about 45 seconds. We shook hands. Then I left. That's all I know. I, I love his work on television. I, I hope this turns out not to be what it kind of sounds like. And, of course, just the way it's being reported sounds very incomplete. Like, surely somebody can't just pop up randomly and say, I didn't like an encounter I had with someone, and they lose their job, right? I mean, it's, you'd think there has to be more to it than that. I hope there isn't, but you'd think there have to be, right? We're, we're, things are so crazy right now that whether you're inclined to give benefit of the doubt to the accused or the accuser, um, you you just never feel like you know enough or can trust what you're hearing enough to draw a conclusion. 210-599-5555. Speaking of which, what is the connection, or is there a connection, between DUI and sexism? What is the connection between DUI and sexism? Try to answer that question, if there is one. Monday through Friday, we talk about what's going on in the news and what's going on in our lives. And we also uh, have podcasts of this show that are available on demand. Uh, so you can hear the whole show, any day's show, yesterday's, you know, last Friday, whatever you want. Uh, just go to KTSA.com on demand and uh, take us with you wherever, whenever. You can also find the Jack Riccardi Show at a lot of the places you find your other podcasts. Oh, and last night's, last night's podcast is juicy. really is. Is it now? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it you, is. You, you say that to me like I wasn't around for the show yeah but you should hear it now though on podcast <laughs> i heard it when i did it it's even better the second time around you know you know, you know how, what i believe you you know how no, f- what don means is he he <laughs> takes his he takes his um you know editing skills and he makes it better it is better when when don fixes it it's better it the thing a- is don I, i'm sorry to tell you this i can never listen to to a show i've already done i can't mm. i can't stand listening to it once I've done it, I'm done with it. It's pretty tasty because it, you know, it has a chance to marinate. I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so who would you put on the NBA uh, scoring Mount Rushmore? We were talking about that with Gilbert Garcia. See, I think, I think you know, MJ and Kareem and, and LeBron James belong on there. And then the fourth one is is tough for me. Um because the game has been different at different times. We were just talking about this off the air, like what do you do with Will Chamberlain, who was a scoring machine, but was doing that in a very different NBA. You didn't have three-pointers. You didn't have, uh, as Gilbert pointed out, the international dimension of, of physicality. You didn't have the speed the game is played with now and all the space on the floor that there is now and the, the way they call fouls now. And I don't know. It's just, I guess it's, I guess the the thing about doing Mount Rushmore lists like this is that you're comparing apples and oranges and mangoes and you know peaches and they're, they're not they're not very comparable but it's a fun exercise anyway tell me yours if you have them uh 210-599-5555 this was a story that we we didn't talk about on this show and I I wasn't going to talk about it several days ago as you probably know um there was a um, DUI arrest of uh, Greg Simmons, who was the sports anchor on KSAT TV. By the way, there's no there's no connection between KTSA and KSAT. A lot of people think there is, but there there isn't. And um, 
he had been driving, I guess, erratically, and uh, they charged him, and he's fighting it, and a few days later, the television station announced that he had resigned. And when this happened, people said that everybody I talked to off the air, because we didn't talk about it on the air, it just I, I, I just didn't really have anything to say about it. It's a news story. It happened. Um, I'm, I don't know Greg Simmons personally. He's been on our show a few times. I was sorry to see it happen. But everybody I talked to said, oh, well, you know, they fired him. I mean, that this, this, the resignation thing is window dressing, or they did, they let him say that, or they gave him that dignity, but but they, they clearly let him go. I don't know if that's true. But let's say for the sake of argument that that might be true. Then I see on Facebook Steve Brown. Now, Steve Brown is the retired meteorologist from KSAT. He was there forever. People love him. And it, apparently because he worked with Greg Simmons, he is friends with Greg Simmons. And he is saying on Facebook that this was about sexism. And that caught my attention because how is DUI about sexism? Well, he says, back in the day, over his long career, he saw people do things that were dumb and they would be forgiven or they would get some latitude from their bosses because their bosses were men. And the men were humanitarian. And probably, he doesn't say this, but probably the the bosses were men, the anchors or the reporters that were screwing up were men, and so the, the men had each other's backs. And he says now, uh, he says, I'm sorry to say this, I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but um, it's... You know, sexism, because now we have women in managerial uh, positions. Now, I got to say, I don't know the particulars. I, I I don't know what happened in that car. I don't know what happened at the television station. I, I, I don't have any inside information. I am purely speculating here. But this makes me want to say something. You... Uh, when you work in our business, sooner or later, the ride is over. And it's either over because you end it or they end it. And a lot of the time, when they end it, they make it look like you ended it. And there are all kinds of reasons for that, which I'm sure you can understand. I think when somebody is valuable to your company or your organization or your television station when you appreciate them, when you value them, um, and they screw up, or they, and, and this is more than a minor mistake. I mean, you, you could have killed somebody. You, you call them in and you go, look, you have got to step back, take some time, you've got to confront this, you have a problem, and you work on it. And, and we want you back when, when you're done. When you get yourself straight, we, we want you back. That's what you would do if the person was valuable to you. If you were already thinking or wanting to move on from that person, if you had already decided that the salary was too high or you wanted a younger person in the, in the job, which that happens in television and radio, then this could be an excuse. 
So, no, I don't think it's sexism. I, I, I've worked for men and women, and, and in most organizations, the hierarchy includes men and women. It's not all one or all the other. And I've had good bosses and bad bosses, and I've had kind and, and empathetic managers, and I've had real hard asses. And some of them have been men and some of them have been women on both sides. But what I do think might have happened here is that maybe they were ready to make a change, didn't know how, didn't know when, and then they got this and they, and they, and they seized it. I'm guessing. I don't know that. I'm not accusing them of that. I could see that being the case. Much more likely than, than sexism. And, um, Again, either way, when, when something like this happens, and I've personally known people that had DUIs, it is, it is life-altering. I mean, you confront all kinds of issues, things you've been putting off, things you've been suppressing, uh, and, and the healthiest thing to do is, is to confront what you did and why you did it and get it all out. And If you have the chance to do that and resume your career, that's great. It, it can actually be very therapeutic. You know, you kind of worry about somebody that loses everything, right, in a moment like this. But I, I just, I think what we're seeing here might be the application of the event to a line of thought that predated the event. See what I'm saying? 210-599-5555. And, you know, um, I, I certainly, again, without knowing him personally or knowing any of the particulars on either side, uh, certainly wish him, uh, wish him well. Uh, asking you on the JR poll about the rodeo. We've been talking about State of the Union. We've been talking about, uh, LeBron James scoring, uh, his record setting, uh, points, his 38,388th points last night means he passes Kareem Abdul Jabbar as the NBA's all time leading scorer um he's had an amazing career whatever you think of him right whatever you think of the lakers right can't can't deny that he's on the nba mount rushmore who else is on the nba mount rushmore ray is on 550 and 1071 ktsa ray good afternoon hey good afternoon jack how you doing i'm good sir how are you i'm doing well doing well Hey, I got to go with Wilt Chamberlain, and that's just because I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and, you know, he was he was our idol there in Philadelphia for the longest time. So, um, You know, I was guys, thinking guys, um, <laughs> guys like Wilt Chamberlain came along before we had this face of the NBA thing that we now have, right? Like, if, I guess ever since Michael Jordan, there's always been like a player who was bigger even than his franchise, right? Like you were saying, right. it was Wilt right. for you because Philly, and maybe for you know for somebody else in Boston, it was Bill Russell or whatever. But see, I think now the way the NBA is set up, there's got to be that emblematic uh, player, and yet Wilt. Think how much more he would have gotten if the whole NBA was the Wilt Chamberlain League back in in that day. That's true. That is exactly true. Do you I, think um, we'll see anybody outscore this this record that LeBron James just set? I, I'm thinking. I don't know if we'll if we'll see anybody get to thirty nine thousand. Not not lifetime. Not 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 lifetime. We'll be we'll, we'll be old guys, 
you know. I'm going to live a long time, Ray. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to live to 150. <laughs> what are you talking about? God hey, help I, us. I did want to say um, thank you. I'm leaving on Saturday, but I wanted to say thank you for, um, for uh, putting up with my calls. Oh. Um, all, during those, all during these years that we've been together. Yeah, you've been calling uh, me for years. I knew you were moving. I didn't know when you were going. So you're 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 leaving. You're leaving on Saturday. Now you know you can still. You you're still you're still in the family. We we stream. We have the podcasts. You can't. Right. You can't just right. you can't just drop me, Ray. You know, and that's what I'm thinking. I can't just I can't just leave. I'm like I you know. I'm like I'm like um, I'm like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. You know, I won't be ignored, Ray. Uh, I won't be ignored. I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm not like Glenn Close, maybe a little, but uh, no, I, okay. I I I knew you were moving, and I'm I'm really happy for the move. I I know not to get into personal stuff. I know this is really big for you and uh, personal for you, but uh, I hope you'll keep in touch. I hope so too. I hope we've so had too. a lot of great talks, and I, I've not put up with them at all. If anything, I feel like you put up with me. So thank you. <laughs> all right. All right, Ray, take good care. Say, have a safe move. Have a safe trip. Um, boy, we, we love Ray's calls. We always do. 210-599-5555. So, um, yeah, we've covered a lot of ground here, obviously, and we're going to talk some more about uh, the State of the Union. We're going to talk some more about um, what's going on in the news today. I, I, I mentioned this um, earlier, and we were, we were up against a hard break, but uh, this thing with the movie theater ticket pricing and i realize a lot of people don't go and you might be saying i i don't care what they do i don't care what the policy is because i've stopped going but um if you do still go to movies even occasionally like when your favorite sequel comes out or around the holidays it's a thing you do whatever how do you feel about the 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 policy of pricing the tickets differently based on the quality of the seat or the seat location. Because that is very akin to what a lot of other business models do, right? We are, in a sense, accustomed in other businesses. We, we presume we will pay more for a better seat, a closer seat, a better experience. I'm thinking concerts. I'm thinking airplanes. It's, it's probably weird, if anything, that they didn't do this sooner, but I think they're now more able to do it because of the phenomenon of more people pre-purchasing the tickets you know when i was a kid we'd go to the movies we just we just drive to a movie theater with no idea what we were going to see no idea what the times were we'd stand there and look at the board pick one out if we had some time to kill we'd walk around the mall or just hang out if the movie was about to start good get a ticket go right in sit wherever and um but now i think people plan it more right and they they want a better experience and the movie theaters are giving you more food, better food, bigger seats, et cetera, et cetera. So everything is, everything is stepping up. And of course, fewer people are going because it's more expensive and there are other options. So what do you think about them with a variable ticketing price plan? 210-599-5555. Of all the things to take away from last night's SOTU. A lot of people took away uh, from it the um, the jeering and the um, booing 
and the pushback uh, from Republicans. And it was during the moments that Joe Biden was engaging in what he always does. I mean, his entire political career, he has plagiarized, embroidered, uh, bragged, just completely made stuff up that was easily fact-checked. But you have to understand, in Joe Biden's lived experience, as they call it, he hasn't had a lot of fact-checking. I mean, yes, his 1988 presidential campaign was derailed by plagiarism, for which he was called out, interestingly enough, by the media, not by his opponents. Um, and, and, it, and it is true over the years that he has occasionally uh, tripped and and. and you know, fallen over some facts. But m- much more the norm for Joe Biden is to lie and get away with it and be told uh, or be described by his his fawning uh, media as, oh, he's just a great storyteller. He's just a, he's just a fabulist, I think was one of the words I, I saw. Um, so what happened last night, and, and I'll play you a couple of examples, is something that, not only are you not used to hearing, but neither is Joe Biden. Here he is accusing the Republicans of wanting to kill Social Security and Medicare and getting some pushback. Cut number three. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the yeah, send proposal. Send him a self-addressed stamped envelope, and he'll uh, he'll send you a pamphlet. Look, um, there was a time I'm old enough to remember when there were Republicans that that not only proposed it, they ran on a platform of ending uh, those programs. Those days are over. Uh, the Republican establishment, the mainstream of the Republican Party, uh, is not going to touch Social Security and Medicare, other than to attempt reforms at uh, elongating it and, and, and uh, you know, putting its its uh, trust fund on life support. But, I mean, he knew that wasn't true when he said that. He even tried to cover it up by saying, well, I'm not saying all of you, you know. Some of you are fine people. And then he tried to talk about how we're only going to need oil for another decade or so. Cut number four. Well, all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production so, to keep... I, you know, I think... Um, I mean, there's all kinds of ways this could go. And I was thinking last night... When President DeSantis is giving this speech in 2025 or 2026, uh, are they going to, uh, you know, heckle him? And I think the answer is probably yes. Here, here's what I think. When this stuff happens, you then get to decide whether you think it is justified or not. And it might drive you, if you don't already know, it might drive you to find out, well, is he right or are the people in the seats right? Because if you're telling me it was better when Republicans sat there and let the lies be told, and these were lies about them and their positions, 
If you're telling me that's better, then you're telling me that whoever's out of power has to just take it. And I don't think that's how we look at things. I don't think that's a better way. So do I think politicians will stop lying? Never. Do I like anything that inhibits or um, makes them think twice about it? Yes, I do. And I'll say one other thing. A lot of people in the media are having a state of high dudgeon today about the jeering and the booing and the, the calling him a liar. They're very, very upset. Can I tell you something? If you call yourself a journalist and you work for one of these networks or news organizations and you cover this guy, they were doing your job. You haven't been doing it. You've been sitting back, satisfied, enjoying your activism, and you're not doing your job. I would remind you that in 1988, when Joe Biden plagiarized a British politician's speech, when he lied about his collegiate record, your predecessors at the networks, at the New York Times, at the Washington Post, called him on it, caught him on it, called him on it, and they ran him into the ground. He wanted to be president badly. They ran him out of town. Wasn't the Republicans that did that? It was the reporters. And I don't think they hated him. He was a Democrat. They're Democrats. I think they just found him offensive. He was, he was boorish and, and reckless in the lies he told. He was insulting their intelligence as much as he was insulting yours and mine. So if you didn't like what you saw last night, TV people, then do your job. So the people like him don't rise to the highest office in the land. 210-599-5555. I'll tell you what else I think is, is interesting about last night. So he, he was mostly on script because the, the, the script for the State of the Union gets distributed right before it's delivered and the, the news rooms all have it. And the, of course, the speaker has it and the VP has it and members of Congress have it. But, um, he, he went off script with some weird stuff. Nobody seems to know today what he meant by th- th- this. is a moment when he was yelling, yelling, and it wasn't on the speech. It wasn't in the script. Cut number six. America's rallying. Autocracy's grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. It's like... It's like your dad's yelling at you for taking the car. I, I don't know what that means. Is there a world leader who would exchange places with the uh, dictator for life of a billion people and um, a massive economy? Uh, yeah, I th- <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that would. Uh, I don't know what that means. I mean, is he saying, I've made it so hard, I'm so tough on China my policies are so hard on China that the G is despondent and, and he has a job nobody would want. Dude, he just flew a balloon over your country for a week. And you did nothing. So, no, I don't think that makes any sense at all. Name me if one. You don't, if, you don't, if you don't want Marjorie Taylor Greene to be the fact checker, and neither do I, then do, do some fact checking. 
210-599-5555. Got to admit, I'm pretty disappointed in Joe Rogan. You know, I um, we've we've played clips of him over the years. We've appreciated uh, what he is able to do with his platform and his following. But part of what makes Joe Rogan unique is that he is, at the end of the day, a guy doing a podcast. He's not a broadcaster or a news anchor or a politician he was uh talking with crystal ball who's also a podcaster and he was talking about ilhan omar the congresswoman from minnesota who was removed by the republican house leadership from the house foreign affairs committee over her anti-semitic uh tweets and statements and for whatever reason, he decided to defend her and came to her defense. And this is what he said, cut number five. Do you see him sit, sitting next to Ilian Omar where she's uh, she's apologizing for talking about it's all about the Benjamins? Yeah. Which is just about money. She's yeah. talking about she money. She shouldn't have apologized. That I mean, was I'll not, go ahead that's not an anti-Semitic it. statement. I don't think that is. It's about Benjamins or money. You know, the, the idea that Jewish people are not into money is ridiculous. Listen. That's like saying uh, Italians aren't into pizza. Mm. Well, um, as an Italian who is into pizza, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one alone. But um, Jews are into money. He says everybody knows that. Isn't everybody into money? I don't really know of an ethnic group or race or... I mean, I know people, I've known people, not not many, but I've known people that truly seemed not to care about money. But I, I can't think of any grouping of people that don't care about money. And I care about money. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm Italian, I'm not Jewish, very, very interested in money. I'm not interested in money because of my race or ethnicity or uh, religious affiliation. Uh, I'm interested in money because I have lots of ideas with what I'd like to do with it, and I would like to have more of it. And I think if most people are honest, they would agree. But why even go there? Well, you go there because you're doing a podcast, and the point of doing a podcast, unlike doing a television show or a radio show where when you start, you have a built-in audience, right? This guy has a multi, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars deal with Spotify, not to mention how much they've monetized this thing. And he's got a huge following. It's the most listened to podcast, I believe, on Spotify. So I'm thinking that the way you get into this is you are constantly trying to um, stir the pot, upset the apple cart. You are looking for the most out there thing you can say. Um. But it's garbage. It's it's stupid. And the thing I always liked about Joe Rogan was that generally Joe Rogan would be the guy calling out stupidity. He'd be the one saying, look at this idiot. Look at this stupidity. And because of the model, I think he now is the person doing it. I'm, I'm not giving up on him. I, I don't want to cancel him. But it's disappointing. It just is. And Ilhan Omar is so not worthy of 
defense. I mean, she is anti-Semitic, and it wasn't just the Benjamins. But she's also incredibly anti-American. And that may sound like a quaint term you don't hear very much anymore. You know, back in the day, there was the the Un-American Activities Committee in Congress and, and, and so forth, and now smart people and sophisticated people aren't supposed to say anything is anti-American or un-American. We're supposed to be more broad-minded. We're citizens of the world, blah, blah, blah. You know, she loves to talk about her childhood and her impoverished upbringing. And it's true. She was in Somalia. And in Somalia, people make $50 a year. And uh, they're starving and they're miserable. And this country that she hates so much took her away from that. And they gave her not only an opportunity to do better, but to do way better. And to serve in the Congress of our country. She has that privilege because some people in Minnesota have decided they would like her to be their representative. That's their decision. It wouldn't be mine, but I respect that it's theirs. If she's such a terrific person, why doesn't she do something to inspire change in her home country? Why doesn't she do something about the poverty and the destitution in Somalia? Why does she talk about institutional racism when she herself is where she is? And instead, why not look at what really drives poverty and destitution in our poor communities. In other words, stop making it all about you and look back over your shoulder at where you came from. You know, it's one thing to climb into the lifeboat and 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 be safe. I like people that reach over the edge and pull other people into the lifeboat. They're not content to have reached it. They want to make sure other people get in. And this country has a great story and a great history and a great tradition of helping men and women all over the world, like Ilhan Omar, and really asking for nothing in return. And she doesn't get to, 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 to rewrite that history. And she doesn't get to claim the legacy of the civil rights movement or Martin Luther King Because that was about, are we living up to our values? That was not saying our values are the problem. You know, Martin Luther King said, are we, are we living up to what our, our, our country is about? The idea of our country. She runs down the idea of our country. And maybe instead of accusing other people or trying to out or, or, or deplatform other people, Maybe she should be embracing the country that embraced her. Would that be too much to ask? And so I don't think she's worthy of a defense. I don't feel that she's a victim because she doesn't get to sit on the committee she would like to be on. <laughs> that does not sound like, um, you know, that sounds like a first world problem to me.
who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. I'll tell you what. Um, that wasn't in the speech. No one knows what he meant. And I don't think he knows what he meant. Anyway, um, six, wasn't it last year or two years ago that he ended the speech and he said something like, go get him or now go, now let's go or something? And that wasn't in the speech either. And, and people couldn't figure out. Maybe, maybe he does like a little Easter egg in every speech where there's like the thing, the mystery to figure out, like Kofefi. Remember, remember when Trump tweeted Kofefi and nobody knew what that meant and, then his defenders tried to say, oh, well, it, it was, it, you know, he pocket dialed or whatever. So, I don't know. I guess we're not meant to understand everything that's happening in front of us. 210-599-5555. This half hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. This is just a small thing, but I've been reading about this humanitarian disaster in Turkey. And, and by the way, um, it, it, th- this is really epic. I mean, Death toll, 15,000 people, Turkey and Syria. There's a, a controversy about whether we should lift sanctions on Syria to get humanitarian aid in there. The, the, there's obviously been a very poor response to this by the world. But I'm reading the articles, and I'm noticing, when did we change the spelling of Turkey? Did you know we had done that? Did you know this? It's T U R. K- I, I think it's K I Y E now. When did that? When did we decide that? Why is that necessary? You know, just just get them the damn humanitarian aid. Why do we have to spell it? To, and I mean, remember remember when Ukraine was first happening, and we were hearing Kiev. All of a sudden, it was Kiev. Oh well, that's uh, that's actually correct. Oh, so all our lives. It was wrong. I feel like this might be some of that presentism stuff where these geniuses we have now have to show us how smart they are. Oh, it's Kiev. It's Turkey with a Y-E, like Kanye. (laughs) I don't know. We were talking about uh, slavery reparations the other day. The mayor of Boston has set up a um, task force to investigate slave reparations, and that's all that we're ever going to do, Um, whatever your position is on this, and I respect whatever your position is, but the politicians, they will talk this thing into the ground. But anyway, she announced a new panel, and the panel includes a college student who organized the BLM protests uh, three years ago uh, named Carrie Mays, she's a college student. So you got a BLM agitator and two high school students on the slavery reparations panel. Now, I'm not putting down being young. I just marvel at this worship of youth, this fetishizing of youth that we do. I I, I realize it says in the great book, a child shall lead them. That isn't what, this is not what that means. That wasn't a reference to Greta. That wasn't a reference to 
that the children will make our climate policy and the children will decide what to do about slavery. And it makes a mockery. If you're talking about slave reparations and you're leaving it up to people that were born 15 years ago, do you realize what a mockery that makes of the idea that this has anything to do with history? I mean, you're not supposed to say it. I'm not supposed to be saying this. You're not supposed to. But, but I mean, I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going along with this. And again, don't get me wrong. I I'm open to people of all ages. I, I have friends of all ages. We have listeners of all ages. I I I can respect the points of view of all ages. But you know, don't don't fetishize it. And that's what we're doing. Uh, right around the same time that President Biden was getting ready to um, deliver the State of the Union speech, he was also saying goodbye to a man that really helped make him president and has been his White House chief of staff since he became president. Ron Klain uh, is leaving the White House. He uh, worked for Biden as chief of staff when he was VP. He was the Ebola czar while uh, President Obama was in office. And I find his the timing of his departure interesting. It might be that Ron Klain is going to surface in the Biden 2024 campaign and he had to leave government to do that. That's, that's one possibility. But it might also be that, like a lot of people in this administration, it's just been a heavy lift. I mean, imagine having to keep this guy organized and in line and translate what he says. And Ron Klain had this very uh, weepy... Uh, tear-stained uh, goodbye ceremony. I mean, it used to be White House Chiefs of Staff just left and it was like a one-line thing in the news. He had this big farewell ceremony. And li- listen, to, this is part of what he said, cut number eight. For a president and a team that was written off for dead in the winter of 2019, and for dead again in the winter of 2020, and for dead again in the winter of 2021, it is never a good bet to bet against Joe Biden and this team. Never, ever a good bet. I learned everything I know about how to be a good father from Joe Biden. He is the best father I know and the best role model. Ron, um, you probably need to maybe join a men's, you know, breakfast get together or something. You need to widen your circle, Ron. Really? Come on. What is this left for dead every winter thing? First of all, he wasn't president in the winter of 2019 or the winter of 2020. What? But what does that mean, left for dead? Joe Biden was left for dead? I mean, make your own age joke at home, but I guess they have this idea that he is this resilient um, guy that, you know, certainly when he was running for president this last time, he was way behind in the Democratic field. Uh, I guess that might be what they mean by left for dead. But then then he got elected. What? what what was he? How was he left for dead last winter? I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. His poll numbers, um, the 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 economy. 
Uh, I feel like they're leaving us for dead. I don't feel like he was left for dead. But anyway, um, Ron Klain's replacement is no great shakes either. Uh, Jeff, uh, I think it's Jeff Zients is how you pronounce his name with a Z. But it sounds like science. Uh, he's the guy that uh, predicted winter of death. So we're going from left for dead in the winter to winter of death guy. And um, pandemic of the unvaccinated was also a Jeff Zients concept. So they're really going from strength to strength on Team Biden. You know, we talk a lot about Biden like like everything about Biden is Biden. But I, I, I say Team Biden a lot because I, I really believe that He's the figurehead of a group of people that worked out a plan to get power, but you, we don't elect committees, right? We elect candidates. We elect individuals. So they found someone they felt would be a benign, non-threatening, uh, somewhat goofy-doofy figurehead, and then used him as the Trojan horse to, 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 to get into power, to set up. And that's why I think, in a way, um, his usefulness is coming to an end. Uh, because they've got what they want. He is not helping them. In fact, he is actually making the job of keeping it harder at this point. What they need now, if, if I'm right, and I could be wrong, but if I'm right, what they need now is a new figurehead. It's, it is the sort of fact that he isn't an unusual sort of politician-y politician. He's not a politician-y... He's the most politician-y politician we have. I'm not even sure how you, how you miss that. I mean, you know, listen up, fat. Yesterday, I thought it was Wednesday. And now today is Wednesday. I feel like I could not have been more prepared for today if I had tried because I was practicing all day yesterday. You ever do that? Like you just, I mean, we're surrounded by the time and the date and the, the, it's, it's not like you've got to look at a calendar, right? But for whatever reason, once in a while, every few weeks, there'll just be a day when I'm off by a day. Some of you are probably thinking right now, Jack, you're off by a lot more than that. I'm also off by a number of years, but that's another Another story for another another day. Um, so we've talked a lot about, uh, obviously, the State of the Union, and I'm sure there'll be more about that as the week goes on. A couple of other things I, I saw today um, in the news, but first let me get the JR poll results. We asked you, do you go to the rodeo, which starts tomorrow, right? 64%, I'm sorry, 66% uh, said no, and 34% said yes on that question. New JR poll tomorrow. Um, Kim Cobb is a new appointee to the President's Intelligence Advisory Board. Uh, she's also a climate activist and alarmist. And, um, for somebody that's going to be advising the President on highly sensitive intelligence matters, um, Kim Cobb is an interesting choice. She has been saying for years that she suffered a mental breakdown after Donald Trump was elected in 2016. Uh, she claims that um, she had an um, acute mental health crisis, this is a quote, 
After learning Trump was going to be the next president of the United States, she was unable to get out of bed for weeks despite having four children who needed her care. Trump's victory, she said in a Mother Jones interview in 2019, shocked her system and sent her into a severe depression. And I don't mean to make light of depression, and I wouldn't. But honestly, if you are so thrown by a a domestic political development, which, by the way, was, you could, you know, you could have maybe seen coming, how are you going to be the one that filters and analyzes geopolitical developments all around the world? I mean, it doesn't seem like she's the right type of person for this job, Kim Cobb. And then I saw this, uh, Mick Fleetwood says that Fleetwood Mac probably will not perform as a band ever again after the uh, death of Christine McVie, who died late last year. He told the London Times, uh, as part of their Grammy coverage, that he still plans to perform, but not as Fleetwood Mac. I think right now, I truly think the line in the sand has been drawn with the loss of Chris. I'd say we're done, but then we've all said that before. It's sort of unthinkable right now. And um, he pointed out that just about everybody in the band has independent projects right now. Stevie Nicks, Neil Finn, Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, so everybody's going to be doing their, their own thing. Um, but he doesn't think Fleetwood Mac as a band will. And, and I, I will just say this. I can understand what he's saying. But these days when you hear that, they always come back again, right? There's no such thing as the final farewell tour or any of this. So I I hope he's wrong, and I wouldn't bet that they won't. On that note, see you back here tomorrow live at 4, or find us as a podcast anytime. Tell me